Hey guys, Adam here. Just a quick disclaimer. My microphone was acting really funny and it wasn't working correctly throughout this episode. I tried to clean it up the best I could, but my apologies and I promise that next week it'll sound at least a little bit better. So enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 227. My name's Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw on the mic. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little sick, so I apologize for any kind of sniffles or disgusting mucus sounds that you may hear today. Good lord. I'll just blame it on Kevin. Mucus sounds. Ugh. <laughs> I'm rounding. I'm like rounding the corner with it, so I'm hoping that it won't be too bad. That's gonna be disgusting. And I'm gonna try to mute the mic as much as possible as well. So if I have to blow my nose or sneeze, I'm gonna try to catch then, it. Are you gonna cut it all together at the end so it's like a medley of mucus? <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> Depending on how much it happens, that would be Just kind like of funny. Four. Four minutes of mucus. Good lord. Uh, this week on the show, we have two reviews lined up for you with the Academy of Muses, along with Zoom. Bit of an odd pairing. Maybe, the, weird, <laughs> maybe the weirdest double bill we've done. Bit of an odd pairing. Uh, we'll also be talking about some other stuff we've been watching on the watch list, movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. Oh my. Let's talk about... There's only really one thing that happened this week, or since we recorded, that I wanted to discuss, and that's the unfortunate passing of Gene Wilder. Oh. Yeah. Gene. Very sad. I, I was hoping to see him in a couple more roles. For some yeah. reason. For some reason, I just had a feeling he, he was going to be making a comeback. That he would overcome the Alzheimer's? Is that what he had? Yeah. yeah. I, didn't know, I didn't know he had that. Yeah. I know he was 83. And he is like perhaps the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I know you're you're a huge. No, oh my god, my whole childhood was Gene Wilder. That's what I grew up with, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Classic Man. duo. Oh my god. Now, what's your favorite? I'm... What's your favorite Gene Wilder film? Mm, I would have, if I'm going straight Gene Wilder. It's got to be Willy Wonka, because I mean he's just amazing in that movie. He's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, if I had to go, that's the go-to answer. Yeah, if I had to go Wilder and Pryor, I'd have to say Stir Crazy. Mm-hmm. But I pretty much liked anything he was in. I don't think I ever disliked a movie that he was in. Mm, I can't think of one either, actually. I wasn't a big fan of the sitcom that he was in. I can't remember yeah, the name true. of it. Remember that? Remember the sitcom? Yeah, I was so stoked for that. It wasn't, it wasn't very good. It was just it was really average. But man, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. Yep. Haunted Honeymoon. Oh yeah, Haunted Honeymoon. He uh he directed that one too, didn't he? Yeah. See no evil, hear no evil. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I even love that one, Silver Street. Yeah. Oh, man. I just got. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna have to go back through all these. I've been I've been thinking about that too. Just I mean any any time a a person. Because there's even some that I haven't even like like the producers. I don't even think I've seen the entirety of the producers. Well, there's a I lot of his movies. Like yeah, there's a lot of his movies that used to play on TV a lot, a whole lot. And oh, yeah. I, f I feel like there's a lot of them that I saw on TV but did not see like, oh, the yeah. full, you know. Without a doubt. I think I've seen See No Evil, Hear No Evil like 30 times on TV. But yeah. I don't think I've ever seen like 
the theatrical version of that, which is probably like a much different movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very, very sad, but I'm, I'm going to try to maybe it's watch one of, some other I'm, stuff. It's a weird thing, though. Like, whenever it's, someone's, like, you know, passed away because of Alzheimer's related, there's a part of me that's like, oh, good. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Like, I get it, that's yeah. Just, like, that's just... That's got to be awful. It's awful. Uh, yeah, I would I would imagine. I would imagine so. Although most of the time, or a lot of the time, they don't really they don't really know what's going on. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, That's what I mean. It's like, oh, Gene. Oh, I love you, Gene. Yep. You will be, will be missed, surely. All right, let's talk about our first movie this week. Uh, let's, let's do Academy Muses. Jump into that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, Since let's that do one's that. right up your alley. I mean, can the movie get any more Adam Patterson? I mean, seriously. Oh, God. Well, we. When when I started watching that, I was just like, oh, damn, Adam is going to be in heaven. Well, when you picked this, I was like, why does he want to watch this? Like, what? what? I heard so many good things about it. I heard so many good things. And I was just like, I didn't, in all honesty, I didn't really know what it was about. I just heard really good things. And I was like, and then, you know, it popped up on Fandor, and I was like, perfect. I've been wanting to see this for a while now. Ever since, like, it played festivals. You know, mm-hmm. I've been hearing about it since then. All right, so what did you think What did you think of Academy Muses? Oh, man, these movies are tough. <laughs> these types of things. Like, there's a part of it that, like, I, on one level, I appreciate it, and I can appreciate what they're doing. But, like, as a film viewing experience, like, it was like I was watching a book. Well, it, I mean, which really... is, is a really like kind of a stupid thing to say, but man, like this would be much better as a book. I felt like I was just watching a a classroom lecture because that's pretty much what. Well, yeah, the and that's the word. Yeah, that's the how it starts out. It essentially, starts out as a documentary where you're just they're just filming this guy giving his his lectures, and then they they kind of like bleed this narrative into it, like out of what he's discussing, the muses and everything. And then the other thing that makes it uh, at least difficult on my end is I haven't read any Dante, which I probably should at some point in time. So, like, in the beginning, the, the classroom stuff, I, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah, and I will also claim ignorance on that, too. I never read Dante's Inferno, so a lot of the discussions... No, I saw some movie adaptations of it, but they were so long ago. I, I'm not really familiar with the uh, the intricacies of that story. Yeah. So, and I mean, I mean, if 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 you're like us and you haven't read Dante's Inferno, or you know, I don't think you're gonna be you're not gonna be a hundred percent lost. Like you're still able to to get the gist of what's going on here, but it does it does leave you uh, kind of flailing at the beginning. Until like the narrative kind of bleeds into it, mm-hmm. but, but I mean it's mo- it's just it's a lot of shots of people just just chit chatting, and uh, I mean it's in the beginning it's slightly interesting the way that he shoots through like window panes and you have the reflections of outside kind of reflected on their faces, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, I mean this the, visually that's the thing. Like you can look at films like. La Sapienza, for instance, where it's sort of similar. I, I had, I, I could see the similarities between those two, 
or I was reminded of La Sapienza with, with this movie. But the difference is La Sapienza is so visually arresting. Whereas this movie, like you said, the only hook that it really has going for it is that he shoots everything outside. So he's kind of like outside looking in, be it pe- people having a conversation in a car or in, in a house and you're seeing it through the windows. So there's always this kind of reflective glass in between yeah. the camera and the people having the conversation. That's really the only hook, the only kind of visual flair that this has. And to me, it just wasn't that interesting because I thought that it just didn't look very good. It looked kind of, to me, low quality, digital, going back to what you said at the beginning, almost like a documentary style. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there was parts that I liked, like... Um... I liked the end. Yeah, and what and that's one of the things is the he really he he comes he gets to his point like in the last like fifteen minutes or so, so it's all kind of like a build up to that, putting all the puzzle pieces together and then, but man, it's just that payoff and all that time spent is just because it gets rather redundant up until that point. Yeah, where you're kind of like, I, I, yeah, I get it, I get what you're doing. And I mean, I they kind of hooked me at first when he does the first. Um, lecture and he's you know kind of having these discussions this discourse with the students and stuff and then he goes home and he has the the talk with his wife and you can see how the wife is much smarter than he is and kind of dominates him and then he takes you know then it cut you know cuts to the next day and he's essentially stolen all of her ideas mm-hmm. and he's trying to pass them off as his own and like at at the beginning there i was like oh okay here we go and then it just, it kind of went down into like a valley and it was just middling until the very end. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's step back for just a second because we, have, we haven't really discussed the details of this movie. So those of you listening, I apologize. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the synopsis here because you may be completely lost about what this is, what this is really all about. Uh, so here's the synopsis. After his classes, a teacher is questioned by his wife, who mistrusted the academic project, is plotting her husband. <laughs> That's what it says on IMDb. The teacher's intention is to create a school of muses inspired by the classic references that should be used to generate the world through engagement with poetry. The controversial order triggered a round of scenes around the word and desire. I don't know if we really... <laughs> I don't know if, no, if that helps. Well, <laughs> I've read some bad plot summaries on IMDb, but wow, that one that one has some issues. Whoever wrote that needs to maybe rework that a little bit. I, I'm thinking that maybe English isn't their first language. Uh, quite possibly, that might have been a Google Translate job right there. It does sound like one. This is written and directed by Jose Luis Guerin. Yeah, and so it's, 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 he's just. He, he's talking about muses and like literary references and stuff, and then that's essentially you know he is trying to build the academy of muses. Yeah, so he's he's trying to teach, unless I'm mistaken, he's trying to teach his class what makes a muse, and then kind of have them become yeah. muses in their own right. Which I didn't really get because it's like, wouldn't that be a little condescending to be like, I want you to be a muse. You're not a creator, but you're going to inspire the creator. Like, you're not, you're not good enough to actually warrant your own muse. You're going to be the muse. Correct. 
I don't know. Uh, to me, if, if, that, uh, if I was in that class, I'd be like, all right, forget it. I'll leave. <laughs> I'm done. I also noticed, I don't know if this, may, I don't know if they just didn't show it, but I did notice that at the beginning of the class, there were a fair number of men in this classroom, but by the end, it seemed like it was only women. Well, and that's the interesting thing is because he's essentially saying that only women can be muses. So if that's the point of the class, why are the men in it to begin with? Like, did they just show up at the wrong class? Yeah, maybe they were just interested. Maybe they were just looking for an interesting discussion about muses and didn't realize that he was trying to shape these women. I mean, he, he's just, to me, well, it seemed yeah. like he was just trying to sleep with all of them. Well, yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think that's, he's just trying to, like, create a collection of muses. <laughs> and he's trying to, like, entice them to, to come up with ideas so that he can, in turn, take them. Yeah, I think I think it was his wife that at one point said that he's trying to gather these muses for a book that he'll never write or something like that. Yeah, which I I mean, first go around, it was it definitely feels like a movie that I have to watch again because there's just so much going on here and there's so much talking, and that's why I say like it to me it would work better as a book because I can annotate stuff, you know what I mean, and I can look at this and then reference back because there's a lot of things at the end of the movie that shed a new light perspective on stuff that was at the beginning or the middle. But by that time, there's so much dialogue that I forgot about 50% of it. Right. Plus, plus it's subtitled. And I think that when you have really dialogue heavy movies that contain a lot of ideas and concepts and discussion, when you're dealing with a subtitled movie, it's hard to, I think it's harder to retain that information rather than, if if it was in your native language, you can kind of listen True. and and take it in as they're speaking. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that because I definitely. I mean, I it would have been nice to like at the beginning of the movie. It was like, hey, before this starts, maybe get a notepad <laughs> and take some. Like I don't know, I I wasn't expecting it to be a class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I think I think it's one of those movies that <clears throat> could definitely grow in me. Like if I, you know, watch it a second or third time, but I don't know if it was as enticing as it needed to be the first go around, you know, to lure me back for the second or the third time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I can like tell it's you just, that. it's not that, it's uh, not that inviting. Yeah. I'll, I'll never, I'll definitely never watch it again. <laughs> that's for sure. But man, again, uh, cause we kind of touched on it, the, like the odd pairing of this movie with the next movie we're going to talk about zoom. It's, it's, I watched this first, right? Same and here. I really, I really wasn't on its wavelength. Again, I can appreciate and respect what it's doing, but not a hundred percent my thing. And then I watched zoom and I'm like, man, it made me appreciate this movie a little bit more. This is like, man, I wish I could just go back and watch Academy of Muses. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know what I you know what I call Academy of Muses? Academy huh. of Snoozes. <laughs> oh, boy. I came up with that trademark. Nice. Yeah, I it's... just I imagine I imagine you with a moleskin that has like fourteen different versions of that crossed out, and then you finally have that <laughs> one right, and then it's like circled eighteen times with a red pen. I came up with that one pretty quickly. Oh, okay. That, that was a pretty quick one. It was like... Sorry, it was sorry like, to tell you short. It was like 25 minutes into the movie, and <laughs> I just yelled it out. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, it is only an hour and a half long, so 
thank God for that. But at even, one point, even at that point, even oh yeah, that, no, you're feeling it. You're feeling you're definitely it feeling time. it. I don't know, it it kind of reminds me of a, a Niera film, but it doesn't have number one. It doesn't have the visual element to it that keeps you that keeps you interested. Keeps yeah, your that's attention. Yeah, which would which really would have helped. I that's, mean, that, honestly, it really would have helped. That's the big thing for me is I can I can handle these types of movies if there is at least some sort of something cinematography wise happening here that that keeps my attention grabbed. Yeah, because you know, I mean, there's a there's a point you know twenty minutes to half an hour in where you're just kind of thinking to yourself, why why a movie. Why a film? Like, why did you decide on this medium? Because I'm not, I don't know if it really lends itself well to a film. I mean, it, what it boils down to, what movies like this boil down to is your interest level in, in the topic of discussion, right? So if you're not really interested in what they're discussing with the muses and references to Dante's Inferno, you're not going to be invested in this movie. And for me, I was like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> That's why, that's why when it took the more narrative turn and we started exploring his relationship with the students and his relationship with his wife and then what happened at the very end, that's, that's what pulled me in. That's what I was interested in. I didn't care about the bullshit that he was saying about muses. Like, I didn't care. Like, to me, from, like, the very beginning, I was not on board with what this guy was saying. Like, I was just like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is a waste of everyone's time. I don't, I'm not on board with what you're saying. I don't believe it. And but I, it, I it, don't support it. <laughs> if I wanted to have a discussion about Dante's Inferno, I'd go take a freshman lit class. Like, this is not what, what I want. What is, it is funny for me to, because, like, I, I don't know. I just, I'm like, uh, I'm on, it feels like I'm allergic to academia. To a certain point, and like within the first like ten minutes or so of his, I was just like, "Man, I am so happy I never went to college." <laughs> like that shit is not for me. Yeah. No, thank you. I don't support it either. I don't support your bullshit ideas about muses. Yeah, do not support that. All right, let's give uh, the Academy of Muses a score. Kevin, what are you gonna give this out of ten? I don't fucking know. Yeah, this is a tough one. <laughs> like, I have no idea how to score this one, honestly. I have, like, a five and a half. Because, like you said, Maybe. it's not inherently bad. It's just, this is very far away from what I'm looking for in a, in a film. Yeah. Like, there was nothing about this. I didn't well, feel it particularly enlightening on an yeah, intellectual I mean, level. And it's one of those things where it's like, you're perfectly fine. Academy of Muses, perfectly fine. You seem you seem like a great film. I just don't think we're made for each other. Yeah, it's just there's no connection there. I wish you the best of luck, Academy of Muses. I'm gonna go four point five on this one, just because I thought that the visuals were pretty weak. There you too. go. Like that, that was a bit of a disappointment for me as well. I was expecting it to be very visually appealing, and it just, yeah, I wasn't really into the whole glass thing. I, I mean, I liked it at first. I thought it was interesting. There were some parts. Uh, I think it was maybe the last, for some reason, it was the last conversation he had with his wife inside. I know that they did it multiple times, but for some reason, the last one to me looked the best. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just, yeah, I, li I liked that. But, eh. Eh. Academy <laughs> Muses, 
you want to check it out, it's on Fandor. It's getting, on Letterboxd at least, it has rave reviews. People are just eating it up. And you know what? Yeah, if, I, mean, I mean, maybe maybe if I was 18, 19 years old, and in that kind of phase of my life, maybe I would have liked it more. Well, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I think if I was just more, I don't know. Searching, searching for answers and See, looking to discuss things like that. See, to me, like, that stuff is just so much bullshit. I don't know if it's because I'm a creative person that I'm just kind of like, shut the fuck up and do well, no, something. That's, well, that's just how do I, something. That's how I was from, from the very beginning of this movie. I was like, I am just not on board with what he's saying. I just, like, I don't, I don't believe it. You're just looking at it from this angle and then this angle and dissecting it this way. And you're just talking and talking. You're not doing anything. Yeah, they just talk in circles, and it's it's frustrating. I just it just goes in one ear and out the other sometimes. Yeah, and especially I mean, especially when you you kind of you know you kind of have an idea. You have a suspicion of what his intentions are, and then when you do finally come to to find what his intentions are, you're just kind of like, I thought so. Just <laughs> yeah, I knew it from the beginning too. Shut like I just knew it. All right, shut your face. Let's move on and talk about our next film with Zoom. Zoom. This is directed by Pedro Morelli. I have a synopsis here, a multidimensional interface between a comic book artist, a novelist, and a film director. Each lives in a separate reality, but authors a story about one of the others. The stars, Gail Garcia Bernal, Allison Pill. Jason Priestley's in there. Jason Priestley. Jason fucking Priestley's in there. Watch out. Tyler Labine. Uh, all right, I'll start this one off. Zoom. Oh, zoom, zoom, zoom. Zoomy zoom. Not sure exactly why it's called zoom. <laughs> that was going to be my first question. Do you have any idea why it's called zoom? No. Did I miss I, something? I, I feel think, like I missed something. The, to me, this feels like an er, like a throwback to the early 2000s. Oh my God, does it? <laughs> uh it's not good, I'll tell you that that much right off the bat. This is not a good movie. I did not enjoy myself one bit during this movie. It just I... felt there were so many there were so many points in this movie where I'm just like, why is this happening? What is going on here? Why are we doing this? Like there was no there's just no substance to it. It's like you have these three stories and it's like the only the only thing to, to drawing you in is like hey get this gail garcia bernal's directing a movie that's about this writer who's writing allison pill's life but she's making a comic book about gail garcia bernal's character and it's just this crazy cycle guys it's amazing it's gonna melt your brain and it's just like i'm not buying any of this stuff this is not it just doesn't work well no because for the longest time it's just it's just allison pill her story is the the reality, and she's making the comic book. Yeah, at first, yeah. And then the comic book is Gil Garcia Bernal making the movie about the writer. And it's not until the end do they have the writer in the movie writing Alice and Pill's story. And the way and the way that they kind of reveal that is just, oh man, do the <laughs> wheels come off on this motherfucker? <laughs> Holy shit, we're talking. Written words in the sky, <laughs> narrators talking through realities, Alice and Pill just talking to the heavens. 
while there's a standoff for some reason, all of a sudden we're involved. Which doesn't make sense because there's a guy, there's a personal trainer that's from the story that's being written by the Brazilian girl and her reality. But now he shows up and which just, oh my goodness. And it's just all, it's just all certain different types of awful. Yeah. Uh, because so. Allison Pill's story is essentially centered around she wants bigger tits. Yeah, she works so in we, a sex doll shop. So we do that for the longest time. And she has this body image issue where she wants to look hotter, I guess, and she well, so she decides yeah, to. She, she wants but to then look she like, has a, like yeah. just buyer's remorse afterwards. Well, which is a, such a stupid scene where she's like, "They're too big. I want them gone." And the guy, like, number one, the doctor, he's not going to care. Like, he, he's getting paid either way. He doesn't yeah, give a shit. Exactly. If you want, you want to take him out, he's going to take him out. But the fact that she thinks that she can just get him removed without having to pay anything. Like, here, just take him back. You know, when she finally is like, oh, I don't have any money. And he's like, oh, I can't help you. She's like, you're an asshole. It's like, what the fuck did you think? Like, people this don't is surgery. surgeries for free yeah this is this is this is actual surgery this is a surgical procedure where like they put you under and everything i mean this is a real it's like a real thing uh, and then you know garcia bernal's section is like that aha uh-huh music video <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what i was gonna say it's like take on me <laughs> for the entire time and you know how awful that music video is because I, i've never hated i hate that music video more than anything in the world because okay. I, for whatever reason, it always popped up on MTV. Oh yeah, like anytime you would sit really down, and be like, famous video. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna watch the music videos, and then it would be aha, and you'd just be like, this is the worst decision I've ever made. So to see it pop up in a movie in 2016 was just, oh god. And then his whole storyline is, all of a sudden he gets a micro penis. <laughs> Halfway through, boom, micro penis. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's just struggling with that micro penis because he needs to use his penis in his job because he needs to sleep with everyone in order to get what he wants. Yeah, that's how he that's how he demonstrates his power. That's where he gets his confidence from. Like this movie is about appearances. And but it's so funny because you, you like you think you think oh well he's gonna learn to use his words and have discussions with people and make compromises now that he can't rely on his penis. But no, that's not where they go with it. He gets a robotic one. Oh, God. Like a strap-on dildo thing. And then that gets messed up. And then he gets his regular dick back. Spoiler, he gets his dick back. Which is hilarious because she actually writes in the... the, And remember... Keep in mind that the Brazilian woman that wants to be a writer, but for some reason Jason Priestley is forcing her to be a model for something. I don't <laughs> yeah. understand why, but and you even have the dialogue of like, "You're not a writer, you're a model," and he's like, "Do you even know how to spell English words?" But but just think about this though. It's the, that story is coming from the mind of Gar- Gail Garcia Bernal's character, who has a micro penis. <laughs> So, and then there's actually dialogue in the book where she she writes down Edward gets his penis back, which <laughs> gives him the power to finish the film. Like that's actually written and then spoken 
by people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I want to know why people signed up for this. Yeah, it's... I need to know. I think it's supposed to be fun and cheeky and just very, very silly, but man, it's just, ugh. And then the cinematography is so cool. Ugly. They keep spinning shit. They just keep spinning it. It's just spinning it around. Yeah, it's, it's oh, terrible. It's just so it's terrible. like nothing's happening. And it's just like she she flies into Brazil. Oh, let's have the camera spin. Upside down. Now it's sideways. Now it's back to being upside down. Because she's getting off a plane. Uh, but one could argue that's because the cinematography is because it's, uh, once again, Gail Garcia Bernal shooting it. And he's an action movie director. And he's trying to go outside, you know, break this this uh, this stereotype that that he this box that he, that people put him in. Yeah, he's making an art movie. But this cinema, but he's still got that that flair. You know, that's oh, still man. there. The action movie flair. So he's shooting it at all these angles and stuff. He sure is. See, that's, that's that's the thing about this movie is any as far as the the visuals or even the content. There's there's always an argument against any criticism. Well, well, it's funny because the only argument that you can come up with is like, okay, the Brazilian writer section is so bad, right? Because Gil Garcia Bernal is but a then, bad director. But then it's that's cyclical too. Like you you just like okay, well, Alice which is, is it's Alice funny. Is very she's shallow and superficial, and she's drawing this you know shallow and superficial story about. Yeah. And that's what that's why his is his so bad. And it's just it's funny because you think to yourself, why would you spend so much time writing a movie about people being terrible at things and then having us have to watch it? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> why would you why would you write a movie about three people that are terrible at their jobs and not not good at what their chosen medium is? Yeah, and then you're just like throwing this thing at the end where it's like we're going to steal cocaine back and so she can get her breast implants taken out. Oh, and, and, that, and that whole thing didn't make any sense to me either. Like, so they put it, so they get, she ends up finding this cocaine and they decide to sell it to someone in Buffalo and they get it there for some reason by packing it into one of the sex dolls that they were mailing to a customer. And it's like, why, why? But it's funny because you can go back and be like, that's because the Brazilian woman <laughs> yep. is a terrible writer. That's why. And she's a terrible writer because Gil Garcia Bernal is a terrible director. Everyone's fucking terrible. And congrats, you made a fucking terrible movie. Great <laughs> yeah. job. Applaud yourself. If that, if that was, I guess that's your goal. I don't know. But it's just, it's terrible it's just absolutely terrible and like you said at the beginning that you didn't enjoy yourself while watching this movie i hated myself like i was really i'm just mad at myself for watching this yes it is not an enjoyable experience at all i mean you know granted some people may fall for the whole shtick you know the the three stories and they're all writing each other's stories some people might find that clever but we've seen it so many times before and done so so much better in such in, in such a more entertaining way. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, 
Even even something like Ruby Sparks or Stranger Than Fiction. I mean, these are all movies that do kind of the same thing, and they're just so much better than this. Well, and so it's written by Matt Hansen, and my first question is, how old is Matt Hansen? <laughs> I need uh, to know. I'm not like this. Doesn't feel like the work of an adult. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. And it feels like the work of, like, a teenager from, like, the early 2000s. Like, it doesn't even feel like this time period. It's a very odd experience. Yeah, like I said, it it feels like a movie that that would have come out in the early 2000s. Because the animation sometimes has that uh, Richard Linkletter, I don't know if that's rotoscoped or whatever that is. Yeah, where they just kind of go over it with... yeah. It has that. It has that look to it sometimes. Some sort of Apple product. <laughs> just doodle over top of it. It's just, it's just bad. It's unfortunate because there's some talented people in this movie, and their talents are just completely wasted. Yeah. yeah. It's just. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much hated uh, Zoom. It's. Uh, this might be like right now. Well. Never mind. Moonwalkers. I, I still hate Moonwalkers more than this. <laughs> Moonwalkers. Well, I don't know. This might actually be worse than Moonwalkers. I'm not sure. It's. I, I would say right now it's tied for the worst film I've seen this year. Uh, not for me. I've seen. I've seen several that are that are worse than this. But not. not and again, I'm not. I'm, I'm not counting those those festival movies that we saw. Like was oh, that yeah. Shortwave? I'm not no. counting those because Shortwave was. No, I don't. I don't count. I don't count festival movies. Uh, my, I think the worst movie I saw this this year was still the the Martyrs remake. That, that was <clears throat> that was still pretty bad. Although Moonwalkers is almost at the bottom of my list. In the Independence Day resurgence is uh, down there too. So yeah, Zoom for me is tied with Moonwalkers as the worst film of the year that I've seen. Yeah. All right. Oh God. Let's uh, let's give Zoom a score. Uh, I'm gonna throw out a two. I'm gonna give it a one. Yeah, I would. Uh, oh. This is playing on VOD if you're interested, but I would. Uh, I would highly recommend no, avoiding don't. Zoom. Please. Because it Please is. Please do. Yeah, it's a little rough. It's a little rough oh, around the edges. Just... It's terrible, and it's not even terrible in a way of like, hey, I can watch this and make fun of it with my friends. No, you can't do. It. It's just. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing is what it is. Definitely. Definitely is. All right. That's Zoom playing now. Let's move on and talk about someone we're watching on the watch list. Once again, I forget who started last week. Was it you? I think it was you because you only had one. I think, I think, yeah, I think right? so. I have more than one this week. Okay. Well, I'll start it off. I don't have that many this week. I, I watched less than what I've been doing. Uh, I saw the Neon Demon. Oh, boy. Yeah. Little Nicholas winning Reffin. Uh, I I actually liked the Neon Demon, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I still want to see it. It's significantly better than Only God Forgives. Significantly better. Well, that's good. The visuals are there, but there is more of a strict narrative. So it's almost like a cross between Drive and Only God Forgives. Because it is he's very kinda like he split the difference almost. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. I think he was like thinking about it. And he's like, okay, I gotta, 
I got to dial it back a little bit, but I still want to kind of be out there. He's tweaking those knobs. Yeah, so there's there there are sequences where it's just very kind of uber stylish surreal imagery, but there is a, a very specific timeline of events that's occurring, and it's you know not it's not too uh, it's a little pretentious, but it's not overly pretentious like Only God Forgives. Yeah, and the. What he's saying in this movie, the themes that he's exploring, you know, the the uh, the whole L.A. scene and the just how superficial and cutthroat and horrific that scene can be, uh, and how impersonal it is. Um, you know, th- these are all themes that are explored a million times over, but he does it in, in kind of an interesting and entertaining way. Basically, if you're not familiar. Elle Fanning is an, a, an aspiring model who arrives in L.A. and she just she just quickly rockets up. You know, like her career just takes off as soon as she gets there. Everybody she gets an agent right away. Everybody loves her. She's just she's amazing. And some of her model peers are jealous of her and they attempt to devour her. You know, Ooh. so it's sort of like. It's sort of like it's it's L.A. consuming her, like she's being consumed by the city, Watch by out. the industry. And uh, careful yeah, with L.A. It works. I mean, the visuals are absolutely hundred percent on point. They are incredible. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, he he's the type of director where you can pretty much take a still of any single frame and it looks amazing. Yeah. You know, he's just he's so meticulous in each of his shots. He doesn't. He doesn't waste a single frame. You know, he wants everything to look uh, great, even in seemingly meaningless transition scenes and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it looks amazing. It's. It's. Very, I can't speak highly enough of the visuals in this movie. But you know, the the story itself is. It's fine. It's nothing we haven't seen before. It's nothing amazing, but it's it's fine. It's got eh, the ending is a little. It was a little meh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's very violent, too, very very bloody. Ooh. But it, it's like Drive, where it it's not like a bloodbath throughout. It's just like spurts, you know. Gotcha. But uh, at any rate, I would recommend checking out The Neon Demon. I, I was, for some reason, I, like, I was excited to see it, and then I really cooled off on it, and I was just like, eh, nah, I'm not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's worth, it's worth looking. It's worth a look. Okay. All right. Uh, I saw Spy. Oh, the Paul Feig? The Paul Feig. Yeah, what did uh, you think of this? I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, same I, here. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, same here. I, I had zero expectations for that movie. Same here. Not Like, I was so done with the whole action comedy thing and just Melissa McCarthy, while I still like her and I find her an extremely funny actress, it was just like... You know, when Spy came out, it was like after she was in 12 different movies, and they all seemed like they were kind of the same. Well, that's always the problem, too, when you get, like, these comedic actors. It seems like it always happens with comedic actors. They get a little bit of success, you know, like one movie does pretty well, and they just, like, they flood the market with them. Just Melissa McCarthy everywhere. Kevin Hart, let's throw him in every fucking movie. Like every month, there's a new Kevin Hart movie, and it's just like they oversaturate it. Where it's just like mm-hmm. I like Miss Melissa McCarthy, 
I love her comedy, but at the same time, like, can we space these out just a little bit? Like, it's exhausting because they're all kind of the same, just different premises, but mm-hmm. essentially, like, you know, <clears throat> so, but like you said, I had no expectations whatsoever. I essentially just wanted to be entertained because I haven't gotten to see that many movies because the dog takes up a lot of time and Spy just hit the spot. And just between Melissa McCarthy and Rose Byrne, just those two, they were hilarious. Yeah. Yep. 100% <laughs> agree on that. And the Jason Statham, I finally get to, to see what everyone's talking about, and he was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was a good character. Especially at the, that one point where he's just kind of, he's just going through the list of all the things that he's done. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy is just not, not 100% buying that. She's just a little bit skeptic. <laughs> Yeah. The only thing that didn't work for me was the, uh, I forget that guy's name. He played Aldo. He was like the Italian, mm. the the handsy one. Uh-huh. Yeah. That shit was a bit redundant. Yeah. I think we, I don't think we had to spend that much time on it. Like, it's not a good character. It's not funny. Let's, let's cool it. It's still enjoyable. I think they're making a sequel to that. I would watch it. I'll watch that sequel. I'll do it. Yeah. Speak, do it. Speaking of comedy sequels, I saw Neighbors 2. Oh boy. Sorority Rising. Watch out. Uh, this is this is another one where like I liked I think I reviewed the first neighbors or I know that I talked about it on the show. Uh, I liked the first neighbors. I didn't find it to be nonstop hilarious, you know, hilarity. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It was like it was like one of those it's it's kinda how I feel about a lot of Judd Apatow movies where it's they're enjoyable, they're entertaining, but I'm not laughing hysterically yeah. throughout the whole movie. You know what I mean? And I feel like recently that's how a lot of comedies are, where like the Seth Rogen comedies, I'll, I'll watch them, I'll laugh a few times, I'll enjoy myself, but it's not like I'm leaving the theater in tears or like, you know, my side hurts, I've been laughing so hard. But I'll say this, Neighbors 2 is significantly funnier and better than the first one. I mean, really? it's... It's one of the few sequels where it is, I think, that it is superior in almost every way than the first one. Hmm. It is, it's hilarious. The, you know, the laughs per minute are much higher. And it's, it's just a great premise. You think that it's the same, you think it's the same thing. It's like, oh, in the first one, a frat was next door to them. And they have to get rid of the frat. And then in this one, oh, it's a sorority now. And so you think that it's just going to be a retread. But it's not. It's not at all. I mean, in the in the base sense, yes, it is. It, it, that's what it is. It's a sorority that pops up next door. But there's all of these other these added layers where you know they have they have a kid and they have another kid on the way, so they're looking to move into a bigger house. So they're 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 they already have the new house bought. Like it's ready to go. They closed on it. It's it's good to go. Their their current house is in escrow. So they have to wait for like 30 days or something like that in order t- for the buyers to, you know, commit to selling their old house. If they don't sell this old house and the buyers pull out, they're screwed because then they have two houses. Oh boy. And then this sorority goes in and threatens to screw up everything else. But there's this kind of feminist undertone to this where the whole reason for this sorority existing is because you know, sororities on college campuses can't throw parties, but frats can. And so there's like all of this, there's this 
much bigger things that are being discussed in this movie than in the and, and the first one had some bigger themes too, but this one is just really really took me by surprise. I, I would uh, <laughs> highly recommend checking out Neighbors too because it's uh, it's really funny. There's a nice blend of physical comedy and just kind of you know regular dialogue based comedy that we've seen a lot of these kind of uh, Seth Rogen movies. Yeah. Zac Efron is, because in this one, Zac Efron teams up with uh, Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. Oh, boy. To take down the sorority. And it's just, it's just really funny. Dave Franco's back in it, and he's really funny, too. And it's just a really, really enjoyable watch. So I would highly recommend checking out Neighbors 2. You, you'll like it. You, you will. You'll yeah, I've been meaning to get around to those to those neighbors movies. One of these days, I feel like you could almost just go straight to two because well, skip I mean, one. Yeah, there's there's some things I guess that are that you would not really understand. But will I understand the characters' motivations without seeing the first one? You know there's, what I mean? Like I don't know what they've been through. There's yeah, that's the thing. But like there's past. there's definite you you won't know. What haunts how them. how deep the relationship between yeah. Seth Rogen and and Zac Efron goes? You know what kind of bitterness is there? Where 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 does the resentment lie? That yeah, type so of stuff? yeah, I would I would actually say yeah, see the first one first. Gonna have to do a double bill with some neighbors neighbors or, or maybe do a maybe do a cool little reversal thing where you watch the second do one neighbors first. Too? Yeah, and you then, watch the second yeah. one first, then okay. then you see the first one, and you're like, oh, that's what they need. Yeah, yeah. You watch the second one first come up with you know the way that you see these people and then go back to one and see if you're correct i like that idea you know that's a good idea did i judge these people correctly you know you could learn a thing or two you could learn some lessons from neighbors two and one by watching them in reverse order yeah definitely Wow. wow uh everything else i watched were short films trying to do some catch up here kind of got behind like i was for the majority of the year when something would come out on no budge boom pounced on it the day of essentially as soon as it came out came home from work bam no budge type it into the little bar up at the top there on your mm-hmm. computer screen yeah. and then I'd watch it and then check it off the list but i am behind i'm like five short films behind so trying to trying to cram them in there because there's some good stuff there on the new budget. And one of them is a debut short, seven minutes long. It's a short one, directed by Hilary Bell, called Go-Gurt. Oh, I saw this. This is quite good. I was yeah, surprised. I like it a lot. It, I mean, the seven minutes, the screenplay for this, I mean, it's pretty damn good writing. I enjoyed well, surpri- this the, the surprising thing is it almost feels like it's a feature length. And yeah. I, also, I also feel like she could easily adapt this into a feature length because... Oh, my God, easily. I'll tell you, the, the one thing that really grabbed me with this short was the little, the, the lingering shots that she would do on the adults, like the dad when he was at the mm-hmm. mower and then the mom when she lit up the cigarette and how it just the camera just stuck with him because you're like, there's something there. There's yeah. something going on there. And she doesn't tell you what it is, but she kind of alludes to, uh, you know, there's there's trouble in paradise or something, something happening there, something more. And it's it's because it, the the whole thing is just it starts out with her losing her virginity, and it's just like her hanging out with her friend, and they're just kind of discussing it, 
you know, what happens, the, the, the disappointment. And it's, and it's kind of like that where it's the, it's the coming of age where you realize that life is disappointment. And the, the adults, they're already full-fledged into it. They are knee-deep in that disappointment. And she's just getting there, and she got initiated with Gogurt. Fucking Gogurt. Gogurt. <laughs> and uh, it's just because, like, there's not much to it, but at the same time, there is. It's just a really good script, and you're right. Just those little moments, the way that she shot this, I was just, man, I was surprised. I did yeah. not think that, you know, going in seven minutes that I'm really going to get that much out of it. Like, yeah, I might get impressed, but I wasn't I wasn't expecting that when the credits started the role that I was clamoring for more of Gogurt. Like, I I could have done 70 minutes of Gogurt. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there. There is a lot there to digest. It's, it's surprising in seven minutes. So check that out on No Budge. It's only seven minutes long. It's a student film. It's a student film. It looks great, too. Oh my god. Very professional. Uh, like, this is, you know how I was talking about Zoom and how it wasn't made by an adult and wondering how old Matt Hansen is? <laughs> I mean, Gogurt, I would not have assumed, this seems like it was made by an adult, whereas Zoom felt like it was made by, like, a 13-year-old boy. Yeah. So Gogurt, watch some Gogurt. That's I saw... just a weird word. I saw... Yeah, no, a gogurt. Ugh. Have you ever had gogurt? I, I have. Gogurt. I have. It's, it's. Oh, really? I don't like it. Is it as awful as it sounds and looks? I think so. I think it's gross. It's just a dumb idea. Why? I just don't understand it. If you're looking for kids yogurt, I prefer the Trix yogurt. The Trix yogurt's good. Does it come in a tube? No, it's just a regular. Is it mobile regular yogurt, yogurt container? Is, that's what I don't like. Why did we have to make yogurt more mobile? Cause it's on the go. You're on. You're you're going to school. You just throw a gogurt in your backpack. I just slurp it down on your way to school. How do you not have time to eat some yogurt? Cause a regular yogurt container, it's messy. It requires a spoon. <laughs> this way, you just tear it open, suck it down. You're good to go. It's just imagining like someone eating that on like a day out in the hot sun when it's like 97 degrees <laughs> out, and they have a thing of gogurt. Oh god. I don't like gogurt. It's there's something about the consistency of Gogurt that does not match regular yogurt. It's like more, it's like thicker. It's like more gelatinous. Well, and two, to think like, if I had to think of when's the worst time to eat Gogurt, I would think post-coil would be yeah. the absolute worst time. Yeah, definitely. There's also something about the fact that you have to, you tear it open and you have to put your lips around the outside of the wrapper. And it's just like, eh, I don't know. I don't know who's been touching that thing. True. You don't know what it's been laying on. Like, is your fridge clean? Like, what's what's been on that shelf? Is it next to the eggs? Yeah, it's just it's just gross. Do you, do you have like raw poultry on that shelf? Like, I gotta know your kitchen situation. Am I gonna get E. coli from this gogurt? That, that's is, the is question. That, like, I, I gotta fucking wash the gogurt wrapper before I start eating the gogurt. Cause I don't know what the kitchen situation. I don't know how your fridge is. Yep. Speaking of gross stuff, I saw Antibirth. This is directed by go. Danny Perez. Should we have watched this instead of Zoom? Yes. We should have. It's not great. It's, it, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I'd call this. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's not great. Uh, this is uh, with Natasha Leone, Chloe Savini, Meg Tilly, Mark Webber. Solid cast. Uh, it's sort of a body, it's, it's a sort of a body horror comedy in a way. All right. 
and basically Natasha Leone plays this this hard drinking, hard partying young woman who mysteriously ends up pregnant, and she quickly realizes that whatever's inside of her stomach is not it's not human. It's there's there's something going on inside of her that is not quite right, and through a series of uh, investigations that she attempts to take, she discovers that she has been, uh, she's an unwitting, unwilling participant in an experiment. And it's pretty gross. Uh, like, like most body horror movies, it, there's a lot of really kind of disgusting things in it. The makeup effects are quite good and quite disturbing. Uh, there's one scene where for some reason she has this giant blister on her foot, like her whole foot is basically the bottom of her foot's a blister. And she <laughs> takes a dirty steak knife and stabs it, and it's Ugh. it's a pretty gross movie. But the the end is kind of fun and interesting. I I saw some several reviews on Letterbox comparing this to a Greg Araki movie, which I could definitely see a Greg Araki influence in this, as well as Cronenberg. A lot of people are, but I think that that's not necessarily, I don't know. I feel like anytime there's a body horror movie that comes out, people instantly just, compare yeah. it to Cronenberg. And I, don't, I don't know. I think we've gotten to that point with Cronenberg as much as we, with calling things Lynchian. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? If like, it's just a tiniest bit weird. Oh man, it's the Lynchian. It's a yeah. Lynchian movie. Cause there's that five second section where I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I would necessarily compare this to Cronenberg at all. I think the Iraqi uh, comparison is, is pretty apt because okay. it's, it's got that kind of, it's sort of, it has bright colors. It's very, got a kind of a punk rock aesthetic to it. It's very dirty, very, it's weird. It's got this almost, uh, there's like a, a lot of really weird home movies and stuff like cable access type stuff that are playing that's playing on the TV. So it's definitely it's definitely a strange movie. It's got a really weird tone to it. But uh, if you're into if you want to check out a a decent gross out horror movie, uh, I would say check out Antibirth. I I have not rated this on Letterboxd yet because I'm really I don't know I'm really struggling with with how I feel about this movie. I don't know if I liked it or not. It's just one of those... Usually I have an idea right after I watch a movie, but this one I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it's probably going to sit around a two and a half or a three on Letterboxd. It was okay, but I felt like the end was a little underwhelming. Although I will yeah. say that the, the makeup effects and the creature effects, that's right, I said creature effects, they use at the end are quite good. Yeah. So, Antibirth is available on VOD now, so you can check it out. Uh, another one that I watched on No Budge was the Joanne Holiday Show. This is a 10-minute short. Uh, it's about a guy named Dennis who hasn't spoken in 23 years, and he goes to a new therapist. And when he gets there, her room is just this like big white room with two chairs, and she does her therapy like it's a talk show. And then he starts talking, and uh, it's just absurdity because they just talk about absurd things, and then they leave. And they just start running around New York, just doing absurd stuff, bumping into characters and jogging through the streets. And it's it's not that good. I didn't enjoy it. I would not suggest the Joanne Holiday Show. 
Oh. It's just it's kind of just absurdity for absurdity's sake, but it's not, which is okay. I'm fine with that. It's just not my type of absurdity. Mm. It's not entertaining absurdity. Just didn't really work for me on any level. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I saw De Palma. This is directed by Noah Baumbach and Jake Paltrow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I knew that. Yep, it's a documentary about Brian De Palma, and okay. it is excellent. It is excellent. I loved this movie. I went into it. I mean, I, I like watching documentaries about film and filmmakers. And this this movie is if you if you like any of De Palma's work, then absolutely check it out. If you're into filmmaking, check it out. It is 100% worth it to check this out. It is so maybe I mean obviously there's a bias because I'm obsessed with movies and the process and all of that stuff but I was just so enamored with this movie I was basically very simple it's just an interview with Brian De Palma that's all it is it's just an interview with Brian De Palma and he talks he goes through his entire filmography from the very beginning all the way up until the current and he just talks about every single one of his movies and Maybe it, that maybe that doesn't sound interesting, but it is extremely interesting. And he just talks <laughs> about a lot of kind of behind the scene anecdotes about each each film and what it took to get movies made, and his struggles with the MPAA and his relationship with actors. And then he also kind of sprinkles in elements of his personal life. So he'll talk about like, oh yeah, I was having issues with my marriage during this, this production. And he, was, he would talk about his relationship with other directors and stuff and how, like, he would, you know, he's, he's one of the, the old guard. Like, he came up when Spielberg and uh, Scorsese and, and um, Coppola and Lucas, yeah. Yeah. you know. And, and it, it, it kind of dawned on me, like, because these were all studio guys, right? Like, they all work for the studio. And... It's interesting because I was thinking about it while watching this. And back then, the studio would essentially just give these guys carte blanche to do whatever they want, right? Like, like George Lucas came up with his idea for Star Wars and they just were like, all right, have at it. And they just threw a pile of money at him. You know, Spielberg comes up with the Jaws and they're just like, all right, here you go. Here's a shitload of money. And they could make what they wanted within the studio system. And I was thinking, like, it must be hard for these directors now. I mean, I, I certainly know that it's hard for De Palma. I mean, he left, I didn't know this, but he left the United States. He hasn't been making movies in the United States for the last uh, six years. Yeah. His last movie that he made in the United States was Mission to Mars. And after that, <laughs> he, he, he left. And, you know, I, I look at Francis Ford Coppola, and he his movies, he's had a really hard time making his newer movies too and it's I think it's because the studio system now is very different than when they were coming up you know and it's almost as if they got pushed out like they can't they can't really do what they want anymore because of how things have changed within the industry yeah because we got all that money to give to Zack Snyder now yeah it's just uh I don't know it's it's kind of sad but it was also kind of a sad movie in that with De Palma I think that he's truly a great director. I mean, this, this guy, the, some of the, the, the shots that he created and popularized and the types of movies that he made 
are, I think that some of his movies are, are masterpieces. I think that he's an amazing director, but he, like, he just never got any kind of big, you know, he never got credit for it. Like he, most of his movies either were not financial successes, they were not critical successes. And like a lot of his movies, like Scarface, for instance, when that came out, it was not, it didn't make a lot of money. It was not very well received by critics. But then, you know, years and years later, it kind of no, yeah. achieves this cult status where, you know, all the, all the hip hop moguls and stuff start referencing it and it starts to catch on. And it was funny because he, he talks about that. He talks about how, like, the hip hop community sort of adopted re- Scarface. Does he regret the whole say hello to my little friend? Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't really. He doesn't talk about that. He didn't. He didn't discuss that. He did say that uh, at one point they approached him to do to rescore uh, Scarface using all hip hop uh, music, and he said no, absolutely <laughs> not. But it's. Uh, I would highly recommend this movie. It is even to you, Kevin. I know you're not the biggest De Palma fan, and, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of his movies that I'm not. You know the big fan of like I'm not that into Scarface. It's okay. Yeah, Scarface think, is alright. I think Blowout's still my favorite of his. Blowout's good. Sisters is good. Yeah, Sisters. And he talks about it's it's interest. It's just really interesting. The fact that he starts the beginning, and I didn't know this, but he he basically uh, gave Robert De Niro his start. Robert De Niro's first role was in a student film of De Palma's. And there's just all these ton- just tons of really really interesting kind of behind the scenes anecdotes and stuff that he yeah. that he talks about like he talks about working with Sean Penn when he was talking about casualties of war and how Sean Penn and Michael J Fox were not getting along and at one point like Sean Penn punched Michael J Fox in the face and just uh, just all these really interesting behind the scenes tidbits. But it's just, that, stuff's a, that stuff's always interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really, really fascinating movie. And, and he's, he's like one of these directors like Scorsese or like Herzog where I just hang on every word that he's saying because it's just, he's a really good storyteller. And yeah. he, like, he's funny, he's affable, he's, like, he's a nice guy. He seems like a nice guy. And you could just, it's really easy to just kind of settle in, you know, and you just... He's like, he's like your grandpa telling you a story. You just, you know, you sit down on the floor and just listen and just take it all in. But yeah, yeah De Palma, highly recommend check this out. This is probably one of the best docs I've seen this year. Uh, I finally got around to uh, watching Connect Media's newest, I forget what they call it, catalog? Program? Program. Called a program. Uh, if you remember last month, I covered three of the films that they came out with, and then the three that they came out with this time around, which is Republic, Tales, and Burden. So I checked out all three of these. And I got to say, I, I enjoyed all three. Uh, neither one really blew me away, like last programs did with Ocean Falls. But the Republic is about 11, 12 minutes long. Much like um, 8888 and I Want a Best Friend was just kind of this like video diary collage type deal from the the director is shot over like a year starting from the attacks in Paris to like the refugee crisis and to like the early 2016 the protests and stuff 
so it's all around that like time span and it's just kind of shots of the city and you know kind of layered on top of each other and you know manipulating footage and all that type of thing so pretty interesting um did it wouldn't say blew my mind or anything there's also this thing that i've noticed too to kind of watching um recent experimental films or avant-garde whatever you want to call it and although i haven't watched tons i'm sure there's people out there that have seen far more than what i've seen but the one thing that i've noticed is that experimental has become kind of like status quo where i'm not really sure what you're experiment experimenting with anymore yeah because you're just doing the same type of experiments that people have already done yeah wouldn't wouldn't it mean by definition, wouldn't it mean that you're trying something new? You're trying something different? You're seeing what works? Yeah, which they kind of are because they're not doing what's quote-unquote standard or normal. But in the same vein, people have been experimenting for years and years and years. So you're working in the non-standard format, but you're not setting yourself apart from the other experimental works. It's just kind of like you're doing a rehash of the previous experiments it's, it almost seems like i would call you know something like i don't know like tangerine like a feature film shot entirely on an iphone never been done before you know something like that i would almost call that an experimental film or yeah. going back to De palma and like how he did the whole the, the split screen thing and that i mean that 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 was kind of he was one of the first people that did that he was also one of the first people that introduced the steady cam and it's like i would almost call that experimental but we don't consider those experimental films no because he's using those experiments within a standard narrative yeah so they're just kind of innovations instead of experiments and uh i mean the other one burden this is about 19 minutes 20 minutes long and it's it follows you know it's random images in a sequence well maybe not entirely random but it's kind of like taking it through life like the you know the growth and everything so you have a lot of images of things growing and cells splitting and all that type of thing and then you know it ends with a picture of the galaxy and you know so you have that whole trajectory there so it's interesting enough to watch but at the same time it doesn't really stick with you all that much and then the other one tails which is a little more um identifiable where it's just this short film so i think like 18 19 minutes long of this this woman this young woman her boyfriend dies so she goes to the countryside and then spirit visitor and tells her that her boyfriend's going to come back and she has to go out into nature to try and find out where he's at where his spirit is so you have like talking water and talking like meadows stuff i, I mean it it kind of works it's it's got some nice visuals. It's got, it's an interesting idea. And I would say out of the three, that was the one that stuck with me the most. It was the one I enjoyed the most. Um, but again, all the, the, and I hate to do this, you know, to kind of compare it to the program that came before it. Cause it's not entirely fair, but I'm going to do it anyways. Cause I'm an asshole. And I would say that the, uh, the first program was stronger than this one, but it's still interesting stuff. I'm still looking forward to the next month's program. But if I had to pick one out of the three, I would say Tails. Tails is, that's the one I would pick. Where's that available again? Connect Media. Yeah, Connect Media. You can check it out because they're all available, right, for free. Oh, yeah. And if you still haven't seen 
Ocean Falls. Check that one out. There you go. All right, let's uh, move on and talk about some predictions. Last week, Yoga Hosers. Oh, boy. You, you said 14, I said 18, actual 21%. It seems high, because all I've been reading is that everybody hates this movie with a passion. I know. I have not heard anyone... I don't know. Just I'd, listen I, to the wrong people. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to go see it. No, Morgan, you oh. said twenty-two. I said thirty-six. Actual forty-three. Okay. Yeah, just that, that movie just looks painfully average. Next week mm-hmm. we have Sully. Oh boy! Yeah. Time. <laughs> Been waiting for this. Been waiting. Oh yeah. Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks. What? All right. What are you thinking on Sully? Sixty-six. I will say 78 on that one. I, I will not be seeing it. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Sully will not be reviewed on next week's show. Uh, we also have When the Bow Breaks. Uh, this movie looks... Yeah, it's a thriller. Looks pretty, pretty bad. I'll say 31. I'll say 44. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Fantastic. Uh, I think also The Disappointments Room... Is uh, getting a wide release. What now? The Disappointments Room. That is a terrible title. I know. What, what an awful, awful title. What in the hell? Disappointments Room. The Disappointments Room. It's directed by DJ Caruso. He's the guy that did uh, Disturbia. Okay. Uh, he, did, he did some other, like, bigger things, newer things, uh, but I can't remember. Uh, what are you thinking on The Disappointments Room? Oh, he's the director of Eagle Eye. Yeah, Eagle Eye, that's it. Um, phew, disappointments room, I'm going to say 12. 12. I'll say, I think it'll be a little bit better than that. I'll say 28 on that one. Okay. In limited release next week, we have The Wildlife, which is an animated movie I never heard of. We have London Road. We have Other People. It's mm-hmm. one with uh, Molly Shannon, I believe. We have okay. Kicks. Cool. Big, big fan of Kicks. I've Highly recommend that one. We have Demon, which is Ooh. one that I'm interested in. I'm interested uh, in that one as well. For the Love of Spock. This is a documentary about Spock, I think. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see what else we have here. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot else coming out next week. Uh, one that I've heard really good things. Uh, camera Person. Oh, yeah. Camera Person. The Kirsten Johnson movie. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's probably going to be good. Landfill so Harmonic. Like, it looks like we got three here. We got Camera Person, Kicks, and Demon. Mm-hmm. They look interesting. <clears throat> yeah, I'd probably recommend those three. But uh, the others, uh, nothing else. Yeah. Nothing else worthwhile. No. Next week on VOD, we have The Royal Road. That comes out on Tuesday. We have... Uh, that's it. That's all I have. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Make sure to check the the VOD listings on Amazon and stuff because maybe some of those other ones that we mentioned are also going to get a VOD release. I just did not. I just was not contact. I don't think Kix is. I'm pretty sure Kix is just going to be in theaters. I've, I've been in contact with the publicist about that, but the other ones I'm not sure of. So Next week on <laughs> Blu-ray, this is for Tuesday, September 6th, we have... Night of the Living Deb. Ooh, that's all okay. about. Never heard of that. The Meddler. Susan oh, Sarandon. Rose Byrne. Metal and shit. We have Urge. 
Uh, oh, God. Equals. Okay. Let's go with uh, Kristen Stewart and Nicholas Holt. Sci-fi. Sci-fi movie. Speaking of which, have you, did you see the uh, trailer for... Um, for uh, the new, the uh, Kelly Reichardt. Certainly. Oh no, no, I have not yet. Kristen Stewart. Yeah, it looks really good. Can't wait. We have the Darkness. That's that horror movie with Kevin Bacon. Oh boy. Hard Target Two. Thank goodness. They made a sequel to Hard Target. Good. Hard Target Two. Good for you guys. It does not star Van Damme. Oh. And it's. Never mind. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably not recommend that one. Uh, Fursonas, that's the documentary about furries that I saw at Slamdance, I think. It's not, yeah. not very good. Uh, Nina, that's the one about, that's one with Zoe Saldana about Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. Buddy Moon, which is a comedy that I didn't really like too much. August Winds, did we see that? Uh, I don't think so. I think we are going to see it and then something, I don't know. Something happened. Yeah, something happened. Honey 3, Dare to Dance. Ooh. Now You See Me 2, which I heard is really, really bad. Money Monster, that's the Jodie Foster one with uh, Julia Roberts and Clooney. Hmm. The Iron Giant is getting a new release on Blu-ray. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Haunted Honeymoon getting a Blu-ray release. Bittersweet. I'm going to try to pick that up. I'm going to watch that. It's been years since I've seen Haunted Honeymoon. I wonder if I still, I had that on VHS, if I still have it. (laughs) Probably, probably do. I still have all my old VHSs in my dad's house. Uh, Break pretty out much that old haunted honeymoon VHS. Bust that out. Hell uh, yeah. Tale of Tale of Tales also comes out. Tale of Tales. That one's worth it. That one's worth checking out. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like really like recommend. Criterion's. We got one. 1940. Night Train to Munich. Carol Reed did it. Alright. I've been wanting to see that sucker forever. I have not yet. So I can't tell you anything about it. Cool. Alright, well I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcastfilmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash FilmPulse is the address. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. We appreciate that so very much. For Kevin Rakestraw, My name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.